goodness, you know, it it is just about after ten o'clock in 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 the UK in England, but um, yeah, but it it's the best time for me to interview because my kids have gone to bed and my wife's working in in the other room, so I do get the the time just to interview and and, and really celebrate um celebrate our artists and stuff. So um, it's it's been a you know I've actually been, been working on trying to get you guys for over a year when when unfinished business got released. And uh, wow. I mean, uh, and so, but finally, they gave me the green light to say yes, we can schedule you guys. So, wow. I'm definitely yeah. really excited. Um, I'm going to go through unfinished business song by song because I've listened. It's probably one of the first albums in many years that I've listened to all tracks, thirteen tracks plus the three interludes. Um, oh, so, okay. uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I've got my my five favorites from it and and stuff. So, so I'll go through that. <laughs> Um, but before I start, because okay. I'm based in the UK, but most of my audience, they're from around the world. So we always like to find out from everyone where they were born and raised so that we can sort of get us feel as to where everyone's from. Um, we can probably start with you, Keith. <laughs> uh, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, born and raised with the Indian University, currently residing in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Um, now, can you is is it true that you were the cousin of Ellery? Because I remember, so I in the, in the early night in the early eighties, uh, when when After Seven came out, I was in Nigeria. So when Heat of the Moment came out, it was big in Nigeria, and what we heard, you know, reading Black Beat and Right Tone was, oh yes, we got two, we got Babyface's two brothers and and Ellery's cousin have come to form a group. So is, is that true, Keith? Well. <laughs> It read very well, right? <laughs> it's a great story, but uh, totally untrue. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was great copy. But no, we're we're close like family, but uh, not in not in real life. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, Kevon, what about you? Where were you born and raised? Uh, I am. Uh, I was also born in the city of Indianapolis, Indiana. Born and raised there, um, attended Indiana University along with Keith. As, as a matter of fact, that's where Keith and I first met. And um, yeah, and uh, Babyface is really my brother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you already knew the question. <laughs> 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 uh, 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 Daniel, you, you you mentioned you were born and raised in um, Boston. Oh, sorry, I can't remember, yeah. sorry. Well, I was born in New York, but I was raised in Boston or Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cambridge. And uh, yeah, went to Berkeley College of Music and I reside in Atlanta, Georgia. Reside in Atlanta, yes. And okay, well, I, th I think I've overheard that you are now in, in Nashville. Is that the case? Or? Oh, wait a minute. I'm scared of you. Ooh, <laughs> you, got your, you got your sources together here. Oh, my goodness. This is true. I Yes, I uh, I am a resident now in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been there for about close to 15 years it's crazy wow. time goes by yeah yeah okay so mm -hmm. as i mentioned earlier i mean um so i was born here in the uk but my in the in the early 80s my parents moved to nigeria and so i went to boarding school there then in the 90s 91 i moved to the states i was in alabama and la and wisconsin but so when i tracked the group i i i track it from three different countries so Wow. In Nigeria, um, when you guys came out with um, Heat of the Moment, it was, and I don't know if you guys knew how big that was internationally. I mean, it, must, it was big in the States, but in Nigeria, it was a mass, big, massive hit. Um, 
Wow. And you know, it, you know, as I said, I I don't know how the you know, DJs got the track and stuff, but just trying to just trying to trace the group and and how you guys start uh, started. Um, Keith and 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 Kevin, you guys you met in college. You said. Yes. Yeah, um, we uh, we met in a course uh, called uh, what was it? IU Soul Review. Uh, it was a, actually a, a class that gave us credit for learning uh, uh, theory, uh, some business, uh, uh, and the performance of uh, R&B music. Soul music is what wow. it was, uh, and it was started by uh, uh, the teacher, the professor, uh, Dr. Portia K. Maltzby, uh along with. Uh, uh, late Dr. Herman Hudson, and they create a curriculum just for that, just for us to get an opportunity to know what it was like, uh, what what the industry was like. And so we cut our teeth there. That's and that's where Keith and I first met each other, and um, had some great experiences there, and uh, still connected to a lot of those people here today um, uh, who have had impact, a great impact on uh, how uh, I think we begin to kind of find this pathway of music and performance and really kind of, you know, uh, cultivated and nurtured uh, a love for us. Uh, there was, and what what they did is just brought out more of what was already in us, I think is what it was, you know, but uh, that's that's where we started, you know. Was it more of a performance school or was it more of a, like understanding the industry of, of the music industry? Well, this was Indiana University, so the School of Business, Sciences, and so on and so forth. Uh, but this was a part of an African-American studies, what was part of okay. African-American studies, you know, and so they offered this as a, as a course as well. So at, at this time then, did um, so the, you know, was this a time when you guys were even contemplating becoming recording artists, or was it, what was the path for both yourself and Keith at the time? Yeah. Well, no, it, it it was no no real thought of becoming entertainers in any capacity at that point. It was a class that was offered. Um, you were offered the opportunity to audition to be in the class. Okay. So, and upon what you brought, talent wise, whether you played a guitar, played the drums, sing, dance, choreographer, stage hands. There were positions for a variety of students to participate in the class. And so it, it offered you that taste of honey because once we put together the show during the first semester of the school year, the second semester was put together a performance uh, with instrumentation, dancing and singing. And then we would go out and we'd sing at some uh, nonprofit organizations, other schools, uh, prisons, uh, universities. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was an opportunity to get to develop the sense of participating in a show, but it wasn't a real entity. I think after years passed and we were in, in school together, Kevin, myself, and a couple other guys in Melbourne would get together in the summers and we try to put together some sense of being a group and presenting ourselves to greater Indianapolis area in some singing contests and gong shows, so to speak. But that didn't open up a, a lane 
of thought even of being professionals because it was just too difficult to separate artists from bands. And so that was a, a difficult issue. But um, we didn't get to this level until Babyface's success came. And that opened the door for us to have a reality into poten potentially having a presence as professional artists. Uh, so, I mean, so around what year was this that you guys were in, do, in, in the course doing this? Watch it. We see where you're going. No, no, Watch no. it, young no, man. He's no. trying to put a clock on it there, Key. Watch it. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I was trying to clock the, you know, uh, you know, you know, baby face with the deal and, and stuff like that. So just thinking if, you know, if you guys didn't even consider or, you know, see his success and think, okay, maybe we can do it or, or and also what was happening in the music industry around the time when you guys were doing your course. Yeah, but what, what, what Face and, and L.A. were doing, they were part of, of, of a band that had blazed the trail in the only pathway that you could, was oh. being a part of a band entity. Okay. And they worked hard. They saw uh, Kenny coming from Cincinnati, and Kenny's bands from Indiana would come to Cincinnati, and the Cincinnati bands would come to Indiana, as places where they would travel to go perform their wares. Mm -hmm. And that's where Kenny met with the guys from um, the, deal. the deal. And ultimately that became an, an entity. What he brought to the table was profoundly a lot of talent. And that opened the door that the deal became something. And then LA and Face took it to another level so their success opened the door for us we never saw success in our grasp as students okay. and young graduates you know from from college we were just if something could happen you know i know kevon was passionate about helping his brother uh become successful whatever he could do to make that happen for him he was willing to do it but we weren't pressing nobody's button saying, hey, give us a shot. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could see, you know, it about that. It was, we were doing our individual things, but it was family. And, and, and Kenny knew of our talents. He knew of his brother's talents. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that was the brain thrust. It was about him and his career and building a career. And then his career got so big and became so successful, he was able to turn around and bless us. And Melvin spoke about that uh, quite eloquently uh, in some of the things on my record, Unfinished Business. Yeah, yeah the, the, one of the interludes uh, about the producer, um, songwriter. Mm -hmm. And and so, but when you guys were in, in school, uh, because it's different when you... Um, when I interviewed, say, Melvin Riley Jr., and he was part of uh, Ready for the World, and, and you know, they they looked at bands. But for you guys in those days, I mean, I, I think Cameo, the Gap Band, I mean, so Cameo, uh, maybe, um, yeah, the Gap Band. I mean, did you have a, a, a model of who you were looking at as performers? Because without a band to, to sort of emulate. Wow. <laughs> I think there was a, there was a gap in there i think uh during that time uh like you may you may or may not know of this group there was the deal there was cameo there was also a group that my brother was in uh prior to that called Manchild. Oh, yeah. okay okay and so 
you know, Manchild was uh, on some level kind of emulating, taking a look at a lot of these, uh, so many self-contained groups back then. Uh, the Barcades were were doing their thing back then. So you had Manchild. Of course, Manchild was looking at Cameo. But as, as things moved on and uh, Kenny evolved and he became a member of the deal, then now you're taking – you're still taking a look at, 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 at Cameo and the kind of music they're doing. You're taking a look at Prince because Prince and all of that stuff was starting to, you know, really begin to cook as well. So I was having a conversation with with Danny earlier and just thinking about some of the things that they used to do <laughs> uh, when they got prepared for a show. And sometimes it was like, a, you know, eyeliners and stuff <laughs> that they would do fix up makeup that was all part of what that period was you know it was all a part of that period what, what that period was doing those things that they thought were part of what would help sell you um and so at that point for keith and i we weren't we weren't looking from a self-contained perspective we we were more of a stand-up male vocal group Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that, that means separate and apart. We have a band that would back us, but we were the entity uh, for, for Kenny and L.A. and D. and, uh, um, uh, my goodness, I'm about to go blank, KO, Carlos. Yeah. Yeah, K.O. and Carlos. You know, Stick, all of them, you know, they were a self-contained unit, and they made the sound collectively together. Whereas Keith and I and Melvin, you know, we, uh, we were standalone. What we were doing while that was going on, we were busy doing, going to late night little shows in the Indianapolis market and doing gong shows. Are you familiar with those? Yes, uh, yes, I've heard of the gong show. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a little competition. Yeah, you know, and you go in here and somebody sings and this person sings and you're really singing. You're you're up there and you're singing. You're trying to see who's going to do the best job and win the prize, take the yeah. money, and that's kind of like what we did in the interim. Uh, but really, at that time, I, I think we got to a period where um, everybody kind of got into their uh, 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 their careers in terms of what they were doing as, uh, you know, being adults. Uh, now moving on into your lifestyle and working, working a nine to five, doing those kinds of things. And that's kind of like where we evolved to. But, you know, as time went on. Kenny and uh, Kenny and L.A. persisted, persevered, continued to uh, continue to write and produce and, and had opportunities out on the West Coast, which is what really opened the doors for them to start really uh, uh, having an impact on other young artists. Uh, because at the time, uh, Solar Records and Dick Griffey gave them an opportunity to start producing. And that's kind of what it was. So things started cooking for them. And meanwhile, back at the camp, <laughs> We were we working on nine to five. Keith's in Chicago. I'm in Indianapolis. Melvin might have been he might have been in Cincinnati for a while uh, for a while too. And um, I, I recall calling my brother Kenny and I said to him, "Hey man, I just man, I got to get out of here. I don't care what I, <laughs> what I I don't care what you have me do. I'll 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 load equipment. I'll push. I don't care. You know, just let me know." He said, "Okay, okay, just okay. I hear you." Be patient, be patient. What I and he gave me, he gave me some words of advice. He said, "Well, right now we're working on some things. I can't say exactly what it is, but I would tell you if you got bills or whatever it is, pay all your bills down, 
just be ready, just be ready. And that's what it was. And so that was a, that was a word that I shared with, uh, with uh, Melvin and I shared with Keith and I said, Hey, you still, still want to do this thing? And Keith said, yeah, you know, I don't know if it was hell yeah, but it was, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, eventually that's what came. It, uh, and, and we were prepared to, we were prepared to go. Uh, and that was, that meant drop what you were doing and make a career choice, make a decision. And that's what we were prepared to do. But uh, we didn't feel like we were just taking a big risk. We were taking the best risk I think anybody could do for an act unknown to go and uh, uh, have an opportunity to sign with a major label because because of the reputation and the level level of success that both Kenny and L.A. were experiencing mm. and the rapport and relationships that they were developing, we ultimately signed a deal with Virgin Records. They never saw who we were wow they never they never heard us they none of that they just figured hey if it's la and babyface and they got some brothers that saying we'll sign them snatch them up and wow. so we we had a deal sight unseen and that was a good thing <laughs> now was it always the three of you or did uh, you know in after seven yourself melvin and and, and keith okay that was it yep. okay so you always mm -hmm. settled on a thrill like like a Levert and or did you think a, a you know it wasn't a, a sense that we need the, the harmonies and it never 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 became that it was it was it was the one two three <laughs> it was it yeah, yeah. and yeah. and then yeah I mean it, as I said it it worked perfectly but then did um at at those times how did you guys decide on vocally who 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 has what parts was that a sort of a hard thing you know who's going to be the main lead singer we just back or how how did that that was a, that was a baby face thing that was kenny oh. knew our voices so kenny was ultimate he was he was a songwriter and a producer and so and you know and, and la was a part of it too but kenny being our brother really knew our voices and he kind of almost already had in his head how that was going to work so we we were really i mean we were clay and they were the potters. We were there with a willingness to do whatever it took to have this opportunity. And so it was about taking direction at that point for us. And it was through their direction is how we kind of uh, really kind of formulated what the sound of After Seven was, you know, because again, it had been a while since we had sung anything together, but we were still eager and anxious for the opportunity so when it came well, we we hopped on a plane and next thing you know uh we were like the beverly hillbillies <laughs> <laughs> you know we and we were out in la we were out in la and it started just like that we got out there no second week in november of 1988 wow is that it right keith 1988 yeah yeah Keith, was it hard to just leave Chicago and just just say, okay, let's give this a try? Or, well, I I didn't look at it as being hard. I looked at it as as Kevin was mentioning with the, the amount of success that uh, Babyface and LA were having, it felt like a good bet that you know we had. We knew we had a sound. We didn't know what 
what we'd sound like on a record, but we knew we had something that people were uh, interested in just from the, the times when we got on stage around Indianapolis. And uh, we win a lot of those contests and, you know, the ladies would, you know, give us a lot of love. Uh, but it was those times that made us think that it's a great chance if we got the opportunity and with their success, they were, you know, roses are red, the Mac oh, band. Yeah, the Mac band yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's learned Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, we, we, yeah, we, I mean, there was Jimmy and Terry, there was LA and Babyface, and then there was Teddy Riley towards the latter part of the 80s. And so you had, yeah, from the boys, you had Karen White, you had, you know, you had all the stuff. So, right. yeah, it, the whispers and stuff. Yeah. So it, it was, um, so I mean, as I said, for me, um, when you came out with the first single, A Heat of the Moment, because we didn't, you know, as I said, in Nigeria, we didn't, we, we'd get an odd copy of Black Beat and Right On, but it was easy to sort of hear a song and say, oh, this sounds very similar to the boys. It sounds, so you could tell sonically it had that same, same passion and same sort of, same sort of thing. And, and, and so oddly enough, um, Up Temples did much better in Nigeria in those late eighties and, mm -hmm. and earlier in the eighties than than sort of ballads. So hence, uh, apart from Superwoman, most most up temples uh, did extremely well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a, did you did you realize when did you realize that you guys were going to, you know, that you know, especially your first track being heated a moment and it took off. Did you realize after hearing it that yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go to number one and stuff? Or what was the confidence like? <laughs> wow um we were we were just uh we were taking the ride at that point i mean from the time that we got there we were there for about two months and before we actually got into the studio and actually started recording but from the time we started recording till maybe april or so we we'd wrapped up the recording as you know there were only eight tracks on that first album to, debut album and so it wrapped up pretty quick so things were moving pretty rapidly we were we were kind of jettisoned into a, a a machine you know uh a legitimate record label you know and uh fully outfitted with publicity department promotional department uh video i mean it was so it was it was an experience but we were we were just you know trying to keep pace uh taking it all in, trying to ask the right kind of questions because we felt like, you know, we need to know more about what it is that we're doing because it was happening so quick. Wow. And it did happen. It happened quickly. And we recorded a video and the video was out and then it was on BET. So when you were on BET, you were automatically famous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let alone what it was doing at the radio. So we went from being three individuals doing our own respective jobs in different fields to swept away, gone for less than probably six to eight months. And next thing you know, we're on TV. And it was really, it was a whirlwind. Where we were, where, where it went to on the charts, I don't know that we were really even measuring how much that meant other than the fact that, hey, we got a record on the radio. We got a video on BET. And now what's the next thing? Because that's where we were. We were, 
it was it, it was a hurry up, pick up, and figure out what what happens next. And so it was then it was a matter of now you guys got to try to figure out how to go support. And so at that time we were doing radio in stores. Okay, remember that stuff, Keith? Yeah. yeah, doing a lot of radio in stores and so so. And then you had to go support your record by, you know, hopefully uh, if it's out there long enough, people want to see the act that is that they hear performing on the radio and so mm-hmm. it was now it was time to hit the road jack that's what we had to do i mean was it fun though Keith? oh yeah it was a lot of fun it was a lot a lot of hard work we rehearsed a lot um we we you know we realized that our live show was the bread and butter once we realized that uh we worked hard at it and spent a lot of time uh developing that part of our craft in small venues. And of course, uh, soon after, as Heat of the Moment went up the charts, um, by the time we got to Ready or Not blowing up, we were fortunate to be put under the wing of Al Heyman. And oh, we Al Heyman. <laughs> but, oh, Superfest. Oh. Budweiser yeah. Superfest. <laughs> Budweiser. Oh, he, boy, he's an encyclopedia over here. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. his, he, he was responsible for putting us in a lot of places those first two years after the album broke. And we toured basically for two years. So we really probably should have got back in the studio. Mm. But it was an opportunity to make money and an opportunity to develop ourselves as, uh, uh, you know, live artist um and you know you don't say no you just keep kind of kept going kept going kept going but it paid it has paid off for us because we we were blessed to be able to perform with some of the greats that were from absolutely 70s and from the 80s and some 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 artists from the 60s that we were you know from Smokey robinson to gladys knight patty labelle frankie beverly um, wow. Whitney Houston, Hammer, uh, Regina Bell. I mean, it's a host of great artists. Gerald Levert, Levert, Peebo Bryson. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we we we've been on stage with a mirage of people, and every one of those opportunities helped to make us that much better when it came to being on stage and, and getting comfortable at it. But we were passionate for the music. It's just the love of the music. Now, because you mentioned being teamed up with with Al Heyman, um, and he was known for putting on these massive R and B shows, um, New Edition guy um, and uh, and uh, guy and and all this stuff. But at that time, were you aware of how the the, the business part of the industry works? Where, okay, you know, y- y- you may be famous, but unless you're writing all the songs and and don't sign some shady publishing deal, you need to go and make money on tour be, to commit to doing a tour that be you know which took three years before your next album came out well you want to add go ahead kevin no 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 go ahead i'm 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 not sure why i heard the question so go ahead (laughs) yeah no i was was asking because you 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 were on a tour which meant that you did your your sophomore album didn't come out until i think three years uh 92 three years later so Mm -hmm. um but being on tour uh, and committing that long on the tour instead of being back in the studio recording, were you aware at those early stages about how the industry, the business part of the industry was 
financially where okay tour money is pretty much how you make the money unless you're writing and and, and getting all the you know especially if you're writing and stuff right well um we weren't uh, um we we were primarily vocalists okay and uh most of if uh, all of it not most at least most of the uh, songs that we performed were written by and produced by other people um here here is here is where um we were unaware of how critically important it was to get back into the studio and 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 that, that three years uh that that three year turnaround we probably in all honesty we should have gotten back into the studio probably a year and a half later but the thing was for us is that we were a performing group and we were having opportunities being presented to us back and forth, whether it was with the Whispers, then it was MC Hammer. And after MC Hammer came the Whitney Houston, I'm your baby tonight tour. Wow. Do you turn those down? <laughs> you don't turn those down. You you go to work. And that's what it was. But what we didn't fully grasp was how how urgent or how critical it was to get back in the studio and give them new product. And I think we, we, we missed that boat each time. So, you know, that's why there was such a, a a long period in between each one of our records is because we were a, we were a group that had a reputation for performing mm -hmm. and we would go performing. And when they say support that record, we fully understood <laughs> what that meant. And hey, that's how you, that's your bread and your butter. Go get it. Right. And that's kind of what we were doing. On Virgin, I know you know most people might remember Virgin when they signed this big deal with with Janet and um, um and I remember Tony, we yeah, and I remember Tony Terry. I've interviewed him, and he mentioned you know going to Virgin. But how many other urban acts were on Virgin at the time when you guys were there to see why they didn't push to get you back in? Um, we were one of the few. I mean, ultimately they they signed Janet. Then they signed. Didn't they sign a little boy group key? Uh, they had EU. Yeah, they had EU. Uh, um, uh, so, so, yeah, so, 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 but, 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 but they were they were from the UK. The yeah, right, exactly. Um, da, 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 da. There weren't there weren't a lot of other R and B uh, acts that I can. Oh, they did. Ultimately, they signed uh, Layla. They brought Layla, but these were in the latter years. But yeah. during that time that we were there in, in that time frame, um, I don't know that there was a host of many other R&B artists, uh, uh, so to speak, that were that were signed to the label. And they, they ended up getting signed to Lenny Kravitz. Did they have Maxie Priest, I think, at one point in time, too? Um, yeah, so there were, there were a handful, but not uh, totally... Uh, uh, full R and B that I can recall. Yeah, because I was wondering yeah. why they didn't. Um, they weren't insisting. Come on, guys, we need another album. Before, you know, even even while you're on tour, do some recording and then go back and, and you know, oh, especially if they don't make yeah. the money on the tour with you guys. They 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 were yeah. just like, yeah, go ahead with you know, right? Yeah. Well, you know, back in the day, you know, they were going to make their generally they were making their money anyway, but you okay. know, um. But, you know, um, I can't say that maybe we weren't probably a little hard to deal with, a little hard-headed, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe we out here making our 
money and we ain't ready to go back into the studio yet. That you know, that's a you know, that's a, a, a organic kind of thing that has to happen, you know. Um, and I, you know, uh, in retrospect, I can look back and say, absolutely, we should have absolutely been back in the studio a year and a half or later. It was kind of hard to see, uh, I think, for us to see uh, why we would do that when we have uh, this amount of music on a record. But, you know, yeah. I think we did the second record was called Taking My Time. <laughs> Which uh, kind of uh, poetic oh, justice? Oh yeah, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. That kind of, kind of worked out that way, didn't it? We said there we were, <laughs> but uh, um, we had yeah, we had taken my time, and on that record that was kicking it right, baby, I'm for real, and Candy, love you like this. Were those the singles, Keith? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, one uh, of the things I liked about um, Baby, I'm for real is because it was one of the first times that I remember seeing the three of you. All, um, oh, is that taking my time? Was it? Oh, after seven, you watch. Okay, yeah, <laughs> after seven, taking my time. Why you were? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I like uh, what I liked about Baby I'm for Real, and I guess you guys performing now is the fact that the three of you guys did. Sh we could see the three of you perform because most of the time it was Melvin starting off, and then Kevin would come in. Um, it was pre-Boys to Men type of, you know, how Sean and Michael will, will start off a song, then one year would stop. But that, what I liked about that track was it was able to feature prominently the three of you guys different with your with your vocals. Whose idea was it to, to, to make sure at least, yes, we, we all of you guys were featured equal, uh, well, not equally, but featured prominently on the track? Uh, that was Daryl Simmons. Okay. Daryl Simmons. Mm -hmm. with the, the concept of um, redoing uh, Baby I'm For Real and then he added the natural high uh, thing and on Bloodstone. the Bloodstone and uh, you know it it gave me an opportunity to get a chance to be showcased and you know it worked out it was a, a great record for us and still is yeah did, when you, I mean, as, as main vocalists, when when the tracks are being presented, do you guys say no, this doesn't fit us, or it's like okay, you, you know, we will go for it? Yeah, we 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 listen to it. I mean, like even off of this unfinished business uh, record, um, you know, we we decided to go a, a slightly different route uh, with regards to how we approached some new music and that was the case with, with uh, uh, probably the, the most different track on the album altogether and was really new for us was the song the uh, lead single Bittersweet and we were presented with uh, uh, about four or five maybe six various tracks songs if you will but um, uh, we all kind of listened to them and, and, and really just had to kind of uh, make a determination of what what song out of those that were presented to us felt most like a, 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 a story that After Seven would tell you, you know? And uh, so, we, yeah, we, 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 we have to size up. It, you know, it has to, it, it kind of has to, in some manner or form, kind of fit uh, uh, what we think is, uh, uh, can be a fair representation of After Seven staying true and authentic to who we are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when we think about um, 
um by the mid 90s i mean and there's a lot of talk right now about our with the state of r&b but we 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 noticed by the mid 90s um it went from r&b and then hip hop almost as a side note then became hip hop and r&b and then hip hop became the very dominant force did you as as a recording artist r&b recording artist then see the the shift and see that you know a lot of radio stations were being predominantly putting a lot more hip hop and and I'm getting most of the vocalists were getting hip hop artists to to feature in their records. Did you guys notice that and did, or, or did you <laughs> how did it affect you guys then? Keith, you can speak to it. I mean we, I think we saw it. You know, we, we saw all of that. It was it was happening right uh, beneath our feet or in in front of our eyes, you know, um where, you know, it was an R and B song and you know, a, a, a rapper was maybe just hey, let me let me hop on it to kind of get on that track, and so I might let you get on this hook. I might, I might, <laughs> might. And you went from I might let you get on this this hook, this chorus to um, now it, it moved from that to eventually it got to where they were dominant and. I might let you sing on this hook. And so it totally flipped. It totally flipped in terms of hip hop artists and, and rappers who wanted to get on a get on a course or get on a hook and uh, you know spit, you know, sixteen bars or something like that to now they got the song and you think we could get on here and sing about sixteen <laughs> bars on your swing me one of them hooks. Yeah. Wow. It, you know, it flipped. It totally flipped. You know, so but you know, hey, this this business is uh, ever changing. It's constantly evolving. So you know, you kind of, and as much as you can, try to keep your ear to the to the ground and know what's what's coming next, or, or so, so you can, you know, figure out how you stay in the. You know, again, what's what's so important for us as an act, as an as an entity, is to stay true to who you are. Uh, and 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 not lose your authenticity, but you know, uh, stay relevant if you can. Yeah, I mean, as I said, unfinished business is 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 very reminiscent of some a, an album that is very true to on R and B. Um, and as I said, I, I I'm going to go through from bittersweet down to um, um, tomorrow. The, the yeah. The, the day um so i, I, I want to i want to hold myself a little bit but i just wanted to get to so most of us didn't know um because after you did um uh, reflections it was you know we didn't see you guys for goodness almost more than 10 years or so um i know kavan you, you you had your solo album but most of us didn't understand why um what why the the separation after the third album especially is your platinum platinum gold album i would assume virgin might have wanted to continue working with you guys ah <laughs> well virgin may have i think we were we had gotten to a point of impasse i think is what it was with virgin records um we we as artists were frustrated we felt like we weren't and 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 quite honestly and we look back in retrospect we were really we uh they were really doing everything in their power that they knew to do. And uh, I guess we just felt like we, we wanted more. I thought there, there should be more on the plate. And um, uh, uh, we were uh, 
we were frustrated and, and quite honestly they were frustrated and didn't know what more they could do to to uh, uh help push the brand and so we were saying hey well let us out of this situation if we can't do anything so and that's kind of where we came to and uh, at the time, thank goodness, Mr. Phil Cordero, who was the acting president at the time, was, was willing to release us. And they let us go. They were willing to release us. And they, he released us debt-free. He wiped our debt. Wow. But what, what was real, what was really going on at the time was the simple fact that the music industry had evolved. It had moved on to something else. So here we were, an act that had you know, sold multi-platinum um, and were open to sign a deal with no debt. But there weren't any takers. There were no labels that were interested in After 7 as an entity because I don't know, maybe, I don't know if we were perceived to be difficult. I don't know if they felt like, you know, a lot of the other artists that they were signing right now were selling, really selling records and they were uh, youthful. You know, because, you know, we, we were older than a lot of the acts that were out there. So, but the, the simple fact of the matter was there was not a deal to be had. Wow. So, and so from that point, then, then next thing, you know, uh, what was it? Soul Food came in, we did that in 1996. Soul Food came in 1997, you know, and then in 99, I, I went ahead and did a solo record. But, you know, there there was just not really, no real keen interest on the part of any, uh, any of the many labels that were out there at the time that wanted to uh, take the group on, you know. But then as a as a trio then, what do you end up doing when, okay, we can't get a record deal, are, are, are you still able to get tours going or, or what, what What do the three of you do? Or has it been such a long whirlwind that you, you needed a break? Yeah. It, was, it, was, okay. it was definitely break time, wasn't it, Keith? <laughs> took a, a, a different direction for a time um, and doing some things that we individually wanted to do. But I think the love and the passion for the music is what still kept us bonded because we were still came together and did uh, live performances and shows there was still a desire for people to see because the time that we had spent uh, on stage was a lot of time. Wow. In front of a lot of key people, hard ticket buyers, people who go to concerts all the time. And so that's what we were born in front of. And uh, so we, we had made a we'd made a mark on people. So we were able to come back and and put ourselves in front of people. And eventually, um, you know, face came back and uh, pulled us, pulled us together, got Melvin to come back to the table. Um, and put together the timeless record, which opened the door for us to move forward back, you know, with almost 15, 20 years of being away from recording. You know, Kevon and myself, honestly, we were so in love with what we had done in the past, the sound of what the group was with Melvin and uh, Kevon and myself, that became something that we honestly didn't want to move forward recording without Melvin's participation and he had grown grown a little weary with the, all the trappings of the music industry from the business side point of view. Melvin just wanted a microphone and a stage. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with that. And so, but the business of music is a reality and it's something that you have to deal with and you have to learn about it or you get ate up by it. And I think me and Kevin embraced the business side of the music and allowed ourselves to deal with that. And what we learned coupled with what we learned from making music and performing music has kept us near and dear to music is still the, a, a strong fiber in each of our hearts and minds. Uh, Melvin's coming back gave us the pathway to come back. Uh, and without his voice, uh, Kevin and myself never really wanted to come back and record again because the sound of After Seven was such a, a unique sound. And uh, him coming back, like I say, opened that door, face came to the table. We ended up recording an album, what was supposed to be a single. Mm. Uh, pretty good success with the Timeless. And uh, that again, kind of opened the door for us to be here today, uh, bringing you unfinished business. How was E1 as a label in helping support Timeless? Because um, it was we had some very good singles on the album and that did very well. Um, but they were known, I think I knew them as couch music. They were known for doing a lot more rock and, and stuff. But as as were they as supportive as you experienced in Virgin or, or and, and to help push the record? As, what was your... <laughs> okay, this one. They're being count. <laughs> count. Yeah. Whole new world. <laughs> it was a whole new, whole new world. They, you know, it, it it was about you know, yeah. As as Keith says, you know, uh, they they were being counters. They were they were the bottom line kind of. It was probably less to do with the creative and more to do with the financial aspect of it purely being a business. And how do we get product into the marketplace? Uh, how far do we run? We far we run just far enough, not beyond. And at the end of the day, uh, we'll settle up and we'll see where we are. And that's kind of really kind of kind of like what we learned from from E1. And no, no, you know, I'm not bashing them, but because you know it was an independent, it wasn't yeah. a major. They didn't have the kind of budgets that these major labels have, so they're doing what they knew how to do the best way they knew how. And it was a uh, come on in here and get this lesson. <laughs> that's what it was, <laughs> and to learn. And to learn is a what it used to be and what it is, you know, two different things. And here's how we get down here. And because look around, take a look around, tell me where you got a situation. Because chances are there's probably not a situation for you. So if you like how we look, <laughs> how we do things, come on in. Yeah. And that's pretty much kind of you know you uh, for artists today that come of our ilk that were born through and burst through radio, uh, late 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Um, there aren't labels, labels aren't looking, major labels aren't looking to sign you today. Mm -hmm. um, um, they're, they're looking for new fresh money. They're looking for long money. They're looking for artists who, who are now today, who can maybe uh, capture a little bit of radio, but mainly it's all about streaming right now today. So they want those, they want those millions and millions of followers, if you will, uh, fans who uh, have come up on a new technology and uh, can make 
make those record labels the kind of money they were making back in the day before, you know, these new platforms became part of the music scene, you know, yeah. which makes sense. You can't be mad at them. I mean, I yeah. understand it's a business. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, no, it's understandable. I mean, we've, we've got Danny, Danny here and, um, but I wanted to get to, you know, the fact how he is here um, and, and the, we, we can't talk about how Melvin, um, how his loss. I mean, it's, I think, you know, he, he passed 2019. And I think, you know, the next year we had the pandemic. A lot of us started losing loved ones and things. But, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, and, and he had such a, from those of us who were just as fans, so that sort of a quiet personality, but such a big voice uh, and such a, he just seemed like a a, 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 a big giant but calm giants and stuff. Um, when you reflect on on him as a, as a as a performer, uh, as a as a brother, as a as as a friend, think people that, as I said, who didn't know don't don't know him as personally as you guys. But what what are the things that you would say that you know you know what we've missed? You know, my brother Melvin was a force. <laughs> you know, um, would do anything for you. Um, if you were ever in need, he was there for you. Um, but uh, I, I also know that he was a, 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 a very loving father, um, cared very deeply about his kids, his sons, and daughters. Um, and he had such a strong, strong passion and a understanding of music in a way that I, I didn't. It, it was just... Uh, music was in him from early on. Uh, it was quite a natural thing for him. Uh, it wasn't anything he had to think about. When, and you didn't have to. Uh, with Melvin, uh, with Melvin, you didn't give him much direction at all. When he walked into the studio, into the booth, he he quite honestly knew his way without having to take any direction. Uh, because it was, I mean, he was just, he was just a soulful guy who uh, had his finger on the pulse. You get me in the booth, tell, okay, what y'all want me to do? What, what am I doing? Hey, you know, I don't, I don't know what like Melvin, Melvin's going to sing. He's going to hear the harmonies. He's going to put some soul on top of it. And, uh, you know, but, and, and when it was done, he was out. I did it. He knocked it out and that was it. Nothing, nothing else. I'm not going to get anything more. I finished it. It's done. I, that's what that, I did exactly what you, what was needed. And that's that's who he was. It was the same thing. I mean, he loves he loved music. He loved the performance of music. He loved being in the studio. But I'm mean, when I get in the studio, I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna get it done. Now he might smoke a cigarette before he come in there. I was time to go in. Boom! Put the cigarette out. <laughs> go on into the studio. Rip the part. Come on back out. That was my brother Melvin, and um, you know. Uh, he was just, uh, he was, uh, uh, he, like I said, he was a force to be reckoned with. And the same thing for, for live performance. Uh, he wanted to, he wanted things right on stage so that he could give his best is what it always was. But he was always so very natural. Um, I, I recall early on when we were talking about deciding who's going to do what, they, uh, who's going to sing what, uh, I was prepared to not sing any leads because uh, 
prior to becoming a member of After Seven, I really didn't know what my voice was. Mm. So any song and every song that I used to sing, I would absolutely emulate whoever it was. So if it was Luther, if it was Peebo Bryson, whoever it was, that's who I was. That's how I delivered it. But Melvin always had his own voice. And because he had his own voice early on, they thought, well, Melvin's going to be the lead singer. And I was like, okay, I'll do background. And I was cool with that. But it wasn't until we got into the studio that, you know, they figured, okay, we got this part, let you sing this part. Well, I had no idea. No one's ever sung this part before. Well, no one's ever sung the part. Oh, no, okay. you are going to sing this part. And so me being in After Seven was the first time I really learned what my voice was. But Melvin came in there like like i said a force of like like a force of nature he was a champion in there and everything that he put on he just had so much flavor in everything that he did but you know uh like i said a uh, father he was a, a loving husband and, and and a good brother he and i you know uh we 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 had our rounds because that's what brothers <laughs> that's what brothers do but uh we had love and respect for each other and uh, um, I, I miss him. I'm sorry that he's gone, but I know that, you know, um, you know, I know that he's watching. I know that uh, he's here with us in spirit. Uh, he gave me a thumbs up on that 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 uh, that dude over there, that guy Danny Skyheim McLean. He liked what <laughs> Danny was doing, so he gave Danny a thumbs up before we brought Danny into the fold. So he was all good with it, you know. Okay, uh, uh, was was he still alive when Danny joined? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. I mean, so how did that work out? Because I, because um, I know that Jason was 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 with with you guys initially before, uh, and, and stuff. So how did that, how did that sort of arrangement happen? Where Keith, Keith, Keith let me say this uh, for the record: this man got too much information. <laughs> 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 he know he got too much info. He's breaking it all the way down. <laughs> uh, you know, Jason had been with us probably for a good, probably ten years, probably right. Off, you know, uh, ten uh, years, eight, eight to ten years, maybe more longer. Thirteen. Yeah, thirteen. Wow. So that, he, he had been with us for quite some time. You know, um, um, and I think initially, I think it was a place that Jason wanted to be and it was cool because you know he, he he had a voice as well um i think over time um the thing that you think this is is not what it is ultimately um you know and uh you know i think just over time it wasn't what what i think he he thought it was going to be and to be you know to to stand in the gap for your father mm. is one thing but is it what you really want? Mm. And I think part of that was coming into play and why things kind of uh, started to go a, a little south for us. And that, you know, that I think it was maybe it was just time to make a new transition is kind of what I felt it was, you know, at that point. And uh, sometimes we, we make changes. We just have to make some changes. And trust me when I tell you, they're not any easy decisions to make or to, or, or to execute uh so but that's a that that's kind of how that was and at that point then we decided to uh to bring danny into the fold so 
Yeah, I mean, how 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 I mean, how was um, Danny discovered then um, when you decided and with, with, with Melbourne still around? I've been talking too much. Danny handle it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did you? Did, was there notes in the ads or something? Did you see in yellow pages or something? <laughs> <laughs> yellow pages. <laughs> um, no, actually, um, uh, I was blessed to. I was blessed with the opportunity of working with Daryl Simmons um, on a project. Silent uh, partner. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Silent partner himself. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, um, you know, he's, he's, man, he's that kind of guy, man. He'll, he'll take care of you, you know, when, when, um, when he knows um, your heart is in it for the right reason. So, um, you know, out of the blue, I just received a call from Kevon and uh, it was like a, it was like April, March, or something like that of 2019. But um, I received the call. Uh, Kevon was like, hey, you know, uh, you know, are you interested? And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, I didn't even I didn't even second guess it. You know, it was just a matter of, okay, well, let's see if you fit the mold first, you know. Can you dance? Can you, you know, do choreography? You know, um, you know, are you aware of the kind of work that After Seven is going to be doing, the kind of touring and, you know, you know, all that other stuff, you know what I mean? Because this is a, 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 a level different from the level that I'm used to. And what you were know, you used to? Industry. What uh, were you used well, to? A pre previous, uh, before, before After Seven, I was just a working musician. I, I um, in Atlanta, I moved down to Atlanta just to uh, pay my dues, if you will. You know, because I knew, you know, um, I wanted to make a, a living out of singing. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, I want to be a superstar. You know, uh, the superstar thing was going to be a plus. But, you know, you got to love this thing called music. You got to love this thing because, you know, you'll get a whole lot of no's before you get yeses. Mm -hmm. And even still, you got to keep pushing. And these guys right here, they understood where my, they understood that about me and I understood that about them considering their story. So, you know, um, and even Daryl understood that about me too. You know, he knew my heart was in it for the right reason, which is why I'm so blessed that he was, um, that, that he passed my name over to Kevon. Um, so once he passed my name over to Kevon, Kevon gave me a call. I, I shot him over some some music videos or, or videos that I had on YouTube of, of my perform live performances. You know, he heard what I could do in the studio. It was like, yeah, 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 okay, I see what you do. But, you know, uh, as a soloist or whatnot, but, you know, how how are you in a group setting? You know, you know how, how do you cooperate and things of that nature? So then he got me with Keith, and Keith got me on the ones and twos. It was like, okay, <laughs> and one, and two, and three. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, but um, Keith got me right. You know, I had the choreography down in a couple of months, in a few months or whatever. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to speak with Mr. Melvin um, Edmonds, uh, which, you know, would have would have totally made made my made my day. You know what I'm saying? But, um, um, you know, the fact that the guys told me that he gave me the thumbs up just gave me the drive to to represent the brand that much harder. So uh, by the time we hit that first gig in May of 2019, uh, it was just up, up and away. Oh, did did it feel pressure? Because I mean, you you know, you know, Melvin is you know such a as I said such a heartbeat of the group. 
did you did you feel nervous about actually taking on the role and think you know this might I may not get the response from the audience so you know maybe this is a risk too far uh there were a few thoughts that were going on in my head one one was oh man I know this song front to back I got this but then there was another part of me by the time once it started getting real once we started doing the shows that's when the anxiety started hitting like oh wait a minute hold on you know this is melvin Edmonds here like you know this is a a, a mantle that you, you you can't just jump on you know what i'm saying i still needed to prove myself to the millions of fans around the world that love after seven mm -hmm. so um i had to hum humble myself for a second or whatever i'm like okay well let me put in the work and i don't i don't i'm not scared of proving myself you know so let me put in the work show what i can do and um you know i what made it easy was knowing that kevon and keith you know gave me the thumbs up enough to say you got this man we got your back you know you know and you know if it's a matter of letting the fans know you know show it show it in your work show show what you can do on the stage you know and that's what i did and and that was that level because once we got in the studio that was another level <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm gonna get to the studio um I, um you guys were at uh yossi's in oakland back in early August, um, a friend of mine, um, Elise, um, you know, she, she, yeah, she goes to all the concerts, so she was filming, and and I um, and I saw the performance, you guys were all wearing white, and it's hard to tell that there's a big, there's an age difference between the three of you, because <laughs> cause Kevin and Marvin, you, it's almost as if Danny's come in and he's like, okay, we, we need to make sure he doesn't look any younger than us and stuff, because you guys are wearing all dressed and all looking fit. And he's like, my goodness, you wouldn't tell there's a big age difference. That's but right. I could, but, but the comfort you had, Danny, in leading the songs, they, it, it was like, wow. Um, and the way you guys all interchanged, I was like, wow, really, really impressed by how seamless it, it just uh, it comes about. It come, comes about. And it's learning the choreography because, as I said, from, from um, Can't Stop and Ready Not, you guys constantly perform. Uh, they're constantly performing, even when they're singing slow songs. I saw, yeah. I look back at the Apollo when you guys did Ready or Not, and you, 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 you know, you wear some like I don't know if you remember that performance. You wear some baggy white and sort of um, baggy white sort of outfits, but you guys did a lot of the dancing routines before you sing, and so there's a lot of performance in that. I've said, but you, you know, you got it seamlessly and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I did my homework. I, I I did the best that I could. I mean, even still, before that, again, I I when I was younger, I locked and loaded into Soul Train and uh, Showtime <laughs> at the Apollo, and yeah. you know whatever performances that I could find when I was younger, and it just made things easier. Now that you got YouTube and everything, so you could find everything on there. So I studied the crap out of Melvin and and <laughs> and, and, and and no, for real, and just kind of honed in on the brand of after seven it was one thing being a fan now being a part of the group i i i understood that the the brand of after seven was was um was what mattered you know 
to me so much so that I needed to put in the work to make sure that I was, you know, on par with these guys been building this empire for so long. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard, but it wasn't that easy. (laughs) I mean, because my phone is going to go dead in about three or four minutes. So, Oh, okay. No, I, 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 I wanted to go to, 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 um, uh, unfinished business, and I think one of the things I probably ask you, Keith, while you're still here, is in the past I could always tell when Malvin w- uh, was singing, and then when Kavon joins in, uh, and even yourself. But listening to a lot of the tracks, I could barely tell the difference between Kavon and Danny performing vocally. Um, so they were, you know, sometimes you could you could tell the difference, but this time it, the voices were somewhat similar. Was there any thought about, you know, we needed something more, a, a very distinct, similar to Melvin's voice, or when you thought so, heard him sing, did you did you not think, well, it's a little bit similar to Kevon, but he has the energy? What what was the thinking? Well, I think primarily. Uh... That that became a point of order. Uh, Damon Thomas was a producer, um, and there were times when we first started that uh, there were some similarities in uh, the tone of uh, Kevon's voice and Danny's voice. Mm. I think that over the period of the course of recording the record uh, between Philly, the voice who had wrote most of the lyrical content, um, they were able to develop an area where there was still some yin and some yang associated with what Kevon's tender sweet voice was. And then at the same time, taking the sweet part of uh, Danny's voice and getting him to, to just relax and to, because Danny is used to seeing uh more of a a rougher edge to his voice he has so much there's a lot of voice there and Mm. so he had to be kind of harnessed into pulling some back but between Kelly and Damon they were able to give him a place and that's what great producers do Mm. they bring you in and help you develop your presence on the record in a way that is not going to hurt the record, but at the same time, the brand of After Seven was Melvin and Kevon, Melvin and Kevon, and Danny had to come in and come into a situation where he had, you know, bricks on his shoulders trying to fit in to make that yin and yang thing work. It took a little bit of time, maybe a week or two, and then Danny started getting used to it. And I think we found the happy medium of the difference between their voices. But you you are correct in what you probably heard was some similarities mm-hmm. in some tonations there. But I think uh, Philly and Damon were, were able to bring that contrast and that edge between their two voices. Uh, and, and it's worked. And it's, it's, it's proven with the success of Unfinished Business. I mean, what I did like about the album was the fact that you had Damon Thomas do about he did eight songs, um, Babyface did one, um, and then you had Stokely do two, uh, and I think Jake Crash do do um, Bittersweet. But it, having you know having one 
sort of overall arching producer kept the the sounds you know gave it a, a real nice balanced sound and and then having you know stokely adding one or two tracks in there was a nice fix <clears throat> i'm going to name my top five songs on the album um oh. no place like you um tomorrow can wait the day because it, it reminded me of mid condition and uh, and bittersweet um and bittersweet keeps growing on me each day um but I think my favorite was No Place Like You. It, it's just, I, I just love those types of tender sort of, you know, babyface writes these kind of, these kind of lyrics yeah. that just go, go, you know, uh, go, go to place. Um, but then it's strange that Tomorrow Can Wait was produced by Face, but it wasn't written by him. And it, it was very, seemed like a very strange thing that he did. But yeah, so um, talk about the album, because I said, I, I've listened to it probably three or four times, all of the songs um, completely, and and been able to pick my favorite from them. Um, but talk about how you guys, you know, signed to um, um, Sono uh, Records, and 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 how that, you know, they gave you, you know, the chance to record this album. Uh, first off, when Danny came, I'm going to say, when Danny came into the studio, he was singing every note that was known to man. <laughs> yes. Yes, he was. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know that he meant to, but that's where he was when we got started. So and we had to get one shot. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to reel him in a little bit, but 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 also to the point about the the difference in textures and intonation. My brother Melvin, there's not another voice that I know that is his voice. Mm. Um, to think that we were going to find that voice uh, was, you know, God blesses everybody with whatever gift or tool that he gives you. And that was Melvin's gift or tool. And I don't think that we you know, will find anybody, we were ever going to find anyone that could replicate that, you know, because to, uh, to try to do that is to not let your own gift shine as if you're trying to imitate somebody else's gift. So, um, I think Danny has brought his his style and flavor to the group uh, in a way that still uh, allows us to uh, again be authentic in who we are. You know, so that was important. I knew that we we would not have a Melvin. I know to his point. I know he studied Melvin. I, I hear every now and then some licks that he'll do. That I know are uh, trademark Melvin Edmonds, yeah. But it just tells me I tried, that he's I studying. <laughs> it tells me that he's studying. But Danny has his own tone. He has his own style, mm. um, and and uh, he's got a solid voice. He's got uh, he's got a nice range of color in his voice. So uh, that has all been a, a good uh, uh, good contribution to the group after seven. With regards to the overall album, I think yeah, it's always important to. Uh, um, try to find a producer or producers that are going to bring continuity to mm -hmm. keep the body of the of, of the record intact so that you're not, you know, willy-nilly all over the place and you can't really kind of get a vibe on what the record, you know, what what the record is saying or how we're, what we're trying to speak to or what our expression is. Um, you know, um, uh, crazy as it was, uh, we recorded this album in the shortest period of time we've ever recorded an album ever in our careers. And we did that less than 40 days. We recorded this wow. record. So that was, days. that was, 
Yeah, that was a feat for us. And we didn't see that coming. But we also had to incorporate, we had to learn some other techniques that we weren't accustomed to, you know, to, to, to get it done because, you know, we were, we were under the gun, so to speak. Um, During the pandemic. Being so, yeah, exactly. We had, a, we had a choice to maybe do some virtual concerts oh. and all that kind of stuff or record a record, which would you do? <laughs> <laughs> so that, so we did what became uh, our final product unfinished business. Um, I think that um, we're, we're pleased. We're proud of, 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 of what we did with this record. We're signed with Sono. Uh, they got major distribution through Universal, you know, uh, and, and music, Universal Music Group. And uh, that that was a, a definite plus. Um, I, I think that they're pleased with the record, uh, what we've done. It's been out for a year now. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, uh, everybody has a thing. They're, they're, they're high on streaming. And that's where music is headed because of new platforms. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's also... Uh, we've had an opportunity to afford uh, the ability to go to radio, which, you know, which is uh, our home. This is where we're from. And uh, streaming, if, 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 if we can get some streaming numbers, we're all A-okay with that. But I know where our home is. And, and I know where people will look to find us. And, and I know that promoters will look to find us at radio. And it, that, that is also part of what keeps our bread and butter, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so it's important to, to have a presence at radio for us. Uh, again, this is our third single, ta- uh, uh, um, Tomorrow Can Wait. Uh, we're, we're pleased with the, with the progress that it's making right now at this stage right now. So, um, if we're fortunate enough, we'll uh, we'll continue to do what we've been doing since we came back on the scene in 2016, and that is put music out that we believe that matters and represents the kind of music that we love and we think that is probably, in all honesty, is lacking. The kind of music talks about love and relationships yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and you know uh, just uh, in a positive way, music that rep that uh, re- respects women. You know, uh, we're, that's that's what we're going to bring each time around. So uh, we may not be your we may not be your your cup of tea. Do they say that over there in the UK? <laughs> you know? But anyway, say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, you know, that that's us. We, we're going to stay true to the game. Um, we'd love to cross the pond, come, come across the pond and, and perform for you guys over there. If they're fans over there still have an appreciation and love for after seven. Uh, we're not just limiting this to to stateside. You know, we're we 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 go everywhere to those oh, folks who I... love our music. Uh, interesting story. My brother Babyface was over in Moscow doing a show at a couple clubs. He was a few years back, and he told me when they played Ready or Not, they lost it. Wow. And, and I'm saying, what? They knew Ready or Not. He said they went crazy. Ready or not, I had no idea that back in the day our music had reached Moscow. So there, there, there are after seven fans all around the world, and uh, uh, for those listeners who you reach, let them know, hey, we're still out here doing it. We'd love to come and do what it is that we do, um, 
and continue to uh, put great music out is our hope. That's the plan. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, as I said, we, we're hopefully, I mean, we can get the promoters to, 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 to bring you guys over. But when you think of Unfinished Business, as I said, they are 13, um, that, um, 15, 3, so yeah, they're 12 tracks. 13, yeah. Um, yeah. What are your top three favorites? Could I, well, I have five favorites because I've named, I've named five, my, my five, but um, which is, I'll, and I'll go through it again just in case, No Place Like You. My my top favorite, um, tomorrow can wait. Love that. Um, okay. Um, bittersweet, and then okay. you know yeah, the yeah. day because it is um, you know the whole Stokely mint condition. It, it has that that sort of vibe. Danny, what, what would your 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 favorite on the album be? Um, my favorite. Uh, Who's been loving you? is my or one of my favorites and the reason why was because that was the very first song that i recorded as a member of after seven and you know being in the studio as kevon told you i was singing every lick every riff that i could get on. <laughs> i mean again you only get one shot this is the first time hearing what i could do in the studio so i didn't you know it was like you know the like you know, in the in the industry, you'll hear time is money, baby. You know what I mean? So, you know, you go mm -hmm. in there, you give it all you got. Um, but then there was like, no, 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 no. We need you to pull that back a little bit. You're, you're, not, you're not one yet. <laughs> you're not so I Johnny like, okay, right. you're the, <laughs> I, I, I put Michael Jackson because that in Who's Been Loving You because that sounded that song that album, that song reminded me of a of a, a Michael Jackson type song. So I, I remember listening to it, oh that just Sounds like a Michael's track, or I don't know if there was any thought of that it did at all. Uh, no, I, okay. I, I can't say where Felly the Voice uh, was when he um, wrote that, but I I know he was in his bag. I know he 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 went in there and, and, and wrote a hell of a song. But okay. um, you know, but but again, uh, that's a special song to me because that was the first song that I ever recorded as a member of Badger 7. Um, the other songs, it will be, of course, uh, No Place Like You. Um, yeah, and um, Tomorrow Can Wait, because I've always, I've always wanted to, um, I've always dreamed of being on a record uh, with Babyface. And, you know, that, that was just something that was just like, I can, I can, you know, check <laughs> off <laughs> on my yes. bucket list. Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah, man, uh, other than that, um, I, I never really hear a lot of people say this, but sing a, sing a love song was a, was a really good song. Uh, I like that song a lot. And okay. yeah. What about you, Kevon? What, what, what are your favorite ones? Um, no Place Like You. Well, well okay. Uh, favorite. Um, wow. I don't know if I can say what is my favorite. I can tell you what are my top five. Yeah, yeah, top five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No Place Like You. Yeah. Tomorrow Can Wait. Yeah. Bittersweet. Yeah. Who's been loving you? Okay. And girl, your love is made a man yeah. of me. Yeah, put yeah. that down. Yeah, that was my number five. Yeah, yeah made a man of me. Yeah, that that made that. A man yeah. Of me. yeah. So I, yeah, but yeah. As I said, I, I listened to I was like, wow, these are these are songs that I probably would have listened to in the mid-90s and 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 you know people talk about well with it that armies I said it's a fact that back in those days there was a lot more radio 
programmers who would then put a lot of these songs on. So we'd listen to it. Then we would then mm-hmm. start seeing the videos on Video Soul and 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 and, and stop and um, and all those places. So we were able to see it, and then we we it would we'll go and, and buy it. Um, a lot of people in my generation um, going to a record store. I don't. My car doesn't have a CD player, so I wouldn't even know where to play a CD. <laughs> CD. No. And and I'm nope. and and if I do go for streaming, it's 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 you know it doesn't work. So most of the, you know yeah. on the channel, I asked the, the community, where do you listen to music? And minority listen to it on YouTube. So it's almost like YouTube becomes where we just listen to music. Um, because either we're listening to legacy stuff, but we're still any of the new stuff. We're able to watch it and listen to it there, as, uh, and because mm-hmm. it's, it's accessible and stuff. Um, but as I said, I so I've gone gone through this album three or four times, and I'm like, wow, these really, you know, re- really, really great songs. And um, D- Damon Thomas, who who did handled, you know, almost eighty percent of the production, is he part of Babyface Camp or was uh, was Face? Because he would write. Yeah, his... he he came. He, yeah, he came up under Babyface for a while. He he worked under my brother for uh, several years, so he's got a lot of those influences in the way that he approaches and writes too, as well. He can, let's say it that way. But you know, he was also part of a member of a uh, underdog, uh, okay, uh, uh, songwriting producing group, uh, a duo rather, Harvey Mason Jr. and Damon Thomas. Okay, yeah, so. <clears throat> so whose idea was it for him to be the lead producer and not Kenny um, just doing everything? Or uh, uh, It was my decision. I, I wanted to uh, kind of go a, a slightly a different route, you know, uh, do something just a little bit different, you know, to maybe, uh, you know, just sometimes you just want to shake it up. You know, yeah. it's good to kind of shake things up a little bit. Uh, it wasn't that, you know, face couldn't write or this that and the other you know um it's i just thought it was time you know after you know he did a uh fully produced he and daryl simmons fully produced the timeless record you you've earned yourself a break and we're going to go over here and try to do something else over here <laughs> okay. so. yeah no it's just good and then and i and, and i think actually the um the bittersweet is is um i mean it's it's it, as i said with with that track it's 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 a song. It's a track that maybe I could see somebody rapping on, you know, doing some trap. But the way you guys pulled it off and 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 stuff. I mean, how was that for you, Kevin? Was it a challenge singing that in in, in at, at that pace? And well, it it was it was really different, mainly because we had to do this. We started out doing this thing uh, over uh, uh, over an interface. They were in L.A. We were in Atlanta. That's no fun. As a person who's done this for 30 plus years, when I step into the studio, I want to look through the glass and see you. If I want to give you an evil eye, like I'm feeling this, I need you to feel me. To feel me. So, so. Or if I'm feeling and feeling good, it's you know we we all there. But boy, when when you miles and miles away and there is delay, it's quite a challenge. It's quite yeah. a challenge, is what I yeah. can tell you. So that made it difficult. More, it was more of a challenge than anything else I've ever had to do in the studio. Um, usually, we go into a studio and uh, uh, we hear a song for the first time, 
Maybe what we might, you know, do a little rough on it, take it home, live with it a day or two, okay. come back and knock it out. That's not what we did this round. We came in, they're writing the song, sing the song. Wow. And that's kind of how that happened with us. And that's the reason when you talk about 40 days, whoop, that's the reason. Because we got it done right then and there. We didn't have a chance to, to really, for me, take on the kind of ownership that I like that allows me to pour me into it. But it worked. It worked. We 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 got through it. We got through it. So yeah, you know. I mean, I, but, I listened to it, and I don't. I don't think I would have thought that this look sounds rushed. And and I and as I said, if I can pick out five of my favorite, it means the rest were, were really good. But these were the ones that yeah. I, I listen to it now, and I can just say, yeah, I can keep listening to it continuously. It, but yeah. recording that unusually and that quick was it? So no, say, look, we've got to get you guys out by by August or quickly get it done. Or why why? Mm. Why the rush? No, it, it, it wasn't. It's just how they worked. We had to, that's that's how this producer worked. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean that's not how Damon worked, but that's, you know, um, to, to, to uh, Danny's point, time is money. And we're in <laughs> here, and we're, and, 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 and we're in here trying to get it done. And if we could get it done, I, I would have preferred, because, hey, you know, I was, it was recorded in Atlanta. I live in Nashville. Uh, I, you know, I've got responsibilities back home. So when I go, I got to okay. get back and come back and boom, 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 boom. So, and, and in addition to that, I think during that time, did I, did I jack my knee up? I had an operation on my <laughs> knee during the time that we were recording too. So it was a lot of things that were going on that made me have to get there and get back, get there and get it knocked out is kind of what it was. So, and we had know, a um, Damon had the caught COVID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You know yeah, that that whole period is like you know everything that you had to do was under a different uh, uh, a different set of uh, uh, pressures, if you will, because everything was you know uh, touch and go. You know, uh, so everybody was making every effort to stay protected, and yeah. you know, uh, it was it was it was it was it was. It was an experience, unusual, but you know, at the end of the day, we we were able to we were able to pull it all together and get it done. And so it wasn't like we were pressed with a um, Sono trying to say we got to get this record out. It wasn't anything like that, you know, because you know uh, they're more of a streaming anyway. So uh, okay. <laughs> when you when it comes out, it's gonna comes out. So yeah, so that's, yeah. What about the visuals? Because one of the things that I'm really impressed by is actually the quality. You know, and you know, back in the day, we were used to hype Williams charging a bringing a, a million dollars to do a video. But uh -huh. you, you guys have come up consistently with some really beautiful videos that are conveying the song, which for the YouTube generation visually um, adds to the song's um, um, streams and stuff. Mm -hmm. But how do you keep that under budget, but also making sure you get a director who can can really tell the story visually? But not, you know, bring a big hefty paycheck. Uh, pay. Well, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I think everybody understands anymore nowadays. You're not, you know, uh, uh, maybe if uh, uh, I can't speak for Janet Jackson or for Lizzo <laughs> or, you know, for those folks or Beyonce, what kind of money they might spend on a, on a video today. 
but videos don't cost what videos used to cost. Mm. You know, we used to spend a million dollars, close to a million dollars, five hundred, six hundred, seven thousand, seven hundred thousand dollars on a video. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's not like that anymore today, and you just have to find the right uh, 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 director who uh, has the uh, uh, has the right sensitivity, understands uh, uh, what the message is and what your expression is, and they and again they gotta they have to pitch you with the right treatment. Yeah, they have to pitch you with the right treatment, and and you start out knowing, hey, you got X amount of dollars to work with, and we can only go we don't, we can only run so far with this, so. And I think that, you know, everybody understands that when, when you get to a day and age where you can video, make a video on an iPhone, <laughs> don't come. Yeah. That's all. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's got, it's gotten, you know, it, it's, it can still be costly, but it's not nearly as costly as what it used to be. Yeah. Hey there, guys. I, I, this hey. is Jamil Graves and it's, it's such a wonderful interview. But hey, guys, you guys have another appointment that you have to bounce, so you're running a little late. Oh, can we schedule a part two at another time? Okay, wow. no, so I'm just, okay, uh, I'm just I'm just wrapping up now with uh, with, with with this. So um, you guys have a show with uh, Kenny um, on Thursday, right? Right, we do in Philadelphia at the Dale. Okay, and 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 we should expect you guys to um, continue touring. Um, around the state so I'm, I'm promoting the album Absolutely. yes okay i think you know the, the the final question i had actually was um was pretty much uh kevin you are did... you sure are you are you sure it's not something we can do because it would be great to continue at another time but i the guys okay. are really running behind schedule. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you could, I mean, because I, I did have the, if just the, yeah, the, how we wrap it up. Okay. But it, yeah, if you could reschedule. So what we'll do is, yeah, what we'll do is while you and I follow up by email. Okay. Because I know the guys would love to continue, but I, I really got to get them to the next <laughs> okay. appointment. Okay. So what we'll do is you and I follow up by email and we'll work out the questions prior so we can just have a wonderful part two to this interview. Is that great? Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why don't we jump off and I'll. I enjoyed it though. Let me. Yes. I just wanted to let him know I've, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the interview though for, for sure. Yes. He's a he's a he's he's a, a, a breathing encyclopedia over there. <laughs> this is going to be great. And, and if we're if we're really lucky, maybe some of this information will help motivate the audience and your fans to bring out the seven over so they can have a wonderful live concert in your neck of the woods. We would love that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, okay. Danny, Kevon, yeah, and, and Keith had to drop off, but uh, yeah, right. definitely thanks. And, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so before we go, before we go, please pronounce your mm -hmm. name for me, if you would. Oh, Namdi. Namdi. Yeah, Okoye. 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 Yeah. Namdi Okoye. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, hey, was, right. it was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, and yeah. Namdi. Hey everyone, I want to thank you for being part of Halftime Chats. Um, this new update is really about our membership and I'm really excited to be able to fully launch the membership page. There will be things like full interviews from day one. As soon as the interview drops, you get access to it without any ads on it. Um, there'll be some exclusive member-only videos that will just be some behind-the-scenes stuff and some other things that we will never be broadcast. Um, for some members, you can be able to get actually two interviews because we do have I do have a backlog of almost two or th seven or eight interviews that I 
don't even know when I'm going to be able to broadcast them. So you're able to get at least some of those up front and um, and some some ex- some just behind the scenes stuff, because there's a lot of stuff that goes behind the scenes that I have never been able to 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 talk about or release um, for anyone else. You know, the videos will still be the same um, over over a week or a week and a half or two weeks, depending on how long it is. Um, so everything stays the same. The polls stay the same. The community chats, the community stuff stays the same. But I think with the membership stuff, I'm able to add a little bit more and invest a lot more time and energy in in in, in really supporting the members. So I do hope you come on that ride with me. I appreciate the support. And um, this will just help me continue to invest in taking things to the next level. Take care. Sure.